Truth for Doubt discussion series. This week I have Clay Elliott with me, and he got his bachelor's in biblical studies from Union University, his master's from the the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, he's got roughly 15 to 20 years in ministry. Is that right? Yeah. And, and then correct. And then you started your own biblical counseling practice called Path of Life mm-hmm. Counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you are also the KMUSA prayer pastor mm-hmm. and the member care man. You bet. You right. got it. Yep. So I think that you need to do more things because <laughs> you obviously aren't doing enough stuff right now. Uh, never a dull moment. Man. Never a dull moment, especially <laughs> around here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you and I have been, we've been friends for two years is yeah that right? two or three years yeah yep. we need to have an anniversary soon yep um but in that time it's been it's been really cool to get to know you because i i've never really known like a counselor yeah sure and and so with my interest in apologetics the the whole realm of counseling also mm-hmm. fascinates me because uh, with apologetics you're always dealing with other people sure and most sure, you know, yeah. obviously mostly unbelievers mm-hmm. Um, in defending your faith, yep. Um, but with biblical counseling, you're doing the same thing. Like you're always dealing with people. You're dealing with other mm. people's problems. You're dealing with believers and unbelievers who mm-hmm. are struggling with their faith, with yeah, right. different issues that are going on in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you to see how biblical counseling and apologetics overlap. So that's the idea. Yeah, I know sure. we. That's the idea. I know we've talked about that a little bit already, but. Uh, I kind of want to just throw you a softball question right off the bat, which is, uh, what drew you to biblical counseling to begin with? Mm, That's a good question. Um, So let me give you just a little bit of background of my life and and so forth along with that. It's going to make sense, I promise. I'm a little long-winded, but in the interest of time, I'll make it a little bit shorter here. I appreciate that. Um, Thanks. So uh, when I was little... Enter short joke here. Uh, no, I'm kidding. For those of you who know me, uh, that's a funny joke because I'm five feet tall. And uh, for those of you who don't know, you just found out. So, there's that. Uh, so, I grew up in a really amazing Christian home. My dad uh, is a pastor. Um, and in his own right, he probably wouldn't like me uh, telling a whole lot of people this. But he's a theologian, I would say. Um and really a wise man. Um, my mom leads um, women's Bible study groups and so forth and has done that ever since I was a uh, tiny little child and so forth. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I grew up in the environment of needing and aspiring to know the inerrancy of Scripture and the authority that it, it, it evokes in people's lives mm-hmm. and hearts. And so that being instilled in me at a really young age sort of kind of um sort of developed my my personal worldview. Right. Right? It informed my worldview. Uh and I have have gone through some pretty significant pain mm-hmm. and suffering in my life. I've had seven major surgeries and um probably another one coming up soon. Um and through that uh, I had to understand what the problem of pain was mm-hmm. and suffering and difficulty. And if God 
was who he said he was and if I can trust what he says in his word to be true. Mm-hmm. Along those lines, um, I took it upon myself in high school to have what I would call sort of a listening ministry, and it's nothing formal. That sounds more formal than it really is, but I saw a whole bunch of my friends um, struggling and making some pretty terrible decisions and so forth, and oddly enough, they would always come to me uh, and want my ear, you know, Mm -hmm. want to talk. Right. And so um, through that, I didn't necessarily have the biblical training necessarily. I I was a believer at that time, praise the Lord, but it wasn't like I was um, burning it up as far as how to sincerely apply God's word to everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, they still came and still talked to me. Um, fast forward a little bit further, um, in college, uh, some difficult things happened as well and I ended up having a a major major back surgery uh and through all of that um learned a whole lot about myself and about my relationship with the Lord um and I thought the Lord was calling me into music ministry and then I thought he was calling me into youth ministry so I hung out with the youth ministry program and so forth those folks at Union University um and uh, still played music a lot, trumpet and singing and and so forth. And then um, the Lord kind of impressed on my heart that uh, I needed to revisit this whole how to care for people and listen and encourage and equip, admonish, instruct people. Mm-hmm. In um, not because I'm I'm the end all be all, but because God's word says that. We have the very words of eternal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so through all of that, um, before I went to seminary, I was a mental health clinician. Um, and what that meant was I was uh, I was a professional in an um, outpatient mental health facility. And what I saw there was um, a lot of really hurting people and a lot of people that wanted fixed they wanted just a, a quick fix or wanted coping mechanisms to live mm-hmm. and right. to make it through life. Right. And I I thought, man, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something. If, if God's word says uh, that um, even Jesus said in John 10, 10, that I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, mm-hmm. something's got to give here. People have to be able to find real and lasting change in some way, shape, and form. And so uh, to answer uh, uh, your question in a long roundabout way here, um, I started really, really considering what that might look like. I had no idea what biblical counseling was, but I did know that the Lord impressed on my heart to study scripture and to be encouraged and to be instructed uh, in my own personal life. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly say at 38 years old that if I didn't have that relationship with the Lord um, and had those seven surgeries that were pretty major events in my life, 
I don't know where I would be actually right now. Right. Um, and so uh, I started looking more intentionally at this whole thought process that I had in my head um, and my heart that said somehow people need uh, this change process mm-hmm. um, from the inside out because they want um, they want real change to last right. a lifetime, right. not just a band-aid to slap on and and then in another week feel terrible again. Mm-hmm. And so uh, through my searching, I found out that there was actually um, in certain seminaries there was something called biblical counseling, mm-hmm. and it was it, it it seemed like it was almost custom tailored to what my thought process was right, right. of understanding that scripture informs every facet of our lives mm-hmm. and can can change us from the inside out. Um, and so I never looked back. And I can honestly say that the road hasn't been easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been, if you want to talk about apologetics, I've sort of been an apologist for biblical counseling sure, sure. around here because as a professional model of therapy and so forth, it's not really recognized very much. You right, know? yeah, and that's that's one of the things I was wanting to talk to you about too yeah, is, sure. is what is the difference between biblical counseling and, I guess, secular counseling? Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a, a difference. I want to be as peaceful as I can, um, and I don't want to blame anyone or anything. Uh, I don't want to badmouth any... Um, any model of therapy or anything, sure, but sure. I will say that there's a there are pretty large and significant contrasts mm-hmm. here. Secular therapy seeks to find coping mechanisms, and they deal basically from the head up. Mm-hmm. So what that means, I'll tell you what it, what it means. It's um, they basically say. You change your thinking, your thought process, and then your behavior follows suit, right? It's all neurosciences. They talk about brain chemistry. They talk about um, serotonin and dopamine levels and and so forth. And what I would say is those things are real and they're legit uh, things that happen, uh, especially when you deal with depression or you deal with a life enslaving sin. Sure, now they wouldn't call right. it a life enslaving sin. Secular therapy would say, "Well, you have a disease or an addiction." Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that um, secular therapy says that they're very holistic, and what I mean by holistic is they're physical. Uh, we're as as human beings, we're made up of physical, mental, emotional, social, and spiritual. Uh, we have all five of those things, mm-hmm. um, and they all have to be working in tandem, in my opinion, in order for us to actually be called a holistic person. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people shy away from that word, holistic. Right, uh, right. But um, my experience has been that secular therapy um, shies away from spiritual Sure, the spiritual sure. identity of, of people. They say that there's value there, mm-hmm. but very seldom do they actually explore what it truly looks like 
to being a spiritual individual. Right. So they say, as long as you can change your thoughts, therefore you change your behaviors, Mm -hmm. you can find coping mechanisms to help, and everything will be okay. Sure, sure. And so um, people are in therapy for 3, 5, 7, 10, 15 years Mm -hmm. uh, at a time because they're still trying to grasp a hold of a coping mechanism that works for them. Right, right. So the difference then in uh, between that as secular therapy mm-hmm. and biblical counseling is a pretty uh, a pretty stark or stark contrast. Right, right. Um, biblical counseling seeks to identify your heart mm-hmm. as the thing that needs to be changed. Right. Yeah, and it seems like there's a there's a fundamental. Uh, difference between the presuppositions between uh, secular counseling and biblical counseling. I mean, which you already hit mm. on, because with with biblical counseling, the presupposition is that man is ultimately wicked and fallen That's and right. sinful. That's right. And yeah. therefore, there needs to be this, through the working of the Holy Spirit, um, mm-hmm. And through new life that comes through regeneration and putting your faith in Christ, yeah, um, that's right. You have to start with that presupposition of that yes. spiritual reality of the mm-hmm. soul, yeah. Um, where more secular counseling, like you said, it, it kind of goes the other way. It kind of focuses right. on all the neurological right. stuff. And I know that there's some like you know Jungian uh, psychology and things like that. Mm-hmm. They they there is a spiritual component to it, sure. But it's more. It seems a little bit more. Uh, that's the word I'm looking for. Not not as tangible. That's and so right. with biblical counseling, um, and I guess it could probably seem kind of arrogant to maybe some more secular counseling because biblical counseling sure. is saying, no, we know the issue. That's right. <laughs> and uh, That's and right. that can probably you know ruffle some feathers. But, sure. uh, but anyway, sorry. Yeah. So what that kind of looks like is this. Mm-hmm. When I say that um, secular therapy deals in cognitive behaviorism right Mm -hmm. change your thinking there that that then changes your behavior right 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 and you become a more whole being or a or a better version of yourself sure sure. biblical counseling would would actually agree with some of the behavior change sure right it would it, it would say that um as we uh, desire to identify what the heart issues are, then mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. then your heart and your mind actually change. But here's the thing: when we say that your that we renew our mind mm-hmm. in biblical counseling, that means heart mm-hmm. in Greek, especially in the New Testament. You you identify Romans twelve one and two, um, and and passages that talk about the heart of of the matter or um, by the renewing of your mind mm-hmm. mind and heart are synonymous there and so um, one of the things that's really really important is Jesus words in Mark chapter 7 verse 14 and he says he kind of turns this whole concept of therapy on its head um, he says don't you understand that the things that go into a man don't make him unclean because they go into his stomach and then are expelled out of the body. But the things that come out of the heart of a man are what make him unclean. And check this out. The very first thing, he likes laundry lists you know, of things. Kind of like Paul, the Apostle Paul. He says, uh, 
all of these things are descriptive adjectives and and nouns and so forth of who we are, right? Mm -hmm. And what Jesus says is the very first thing he says is out of the heart, um, not only does the mouth speak, but come evil thoughts. That's the very first thing he says. And then sexual immorality and gossip and slander and vain conceit and debauchery and so on and so forth. But think about that for a second. If Jesus said, out of the heart, the very first thing he says is evil thoughts. That flips secular therapy completely on its head. Because what Jesus understood was that um, the epicenter for all of living um, was the heart. Um, Hebrews, uh, or Jews in Jesus' day, would put um, their fingers on their wrist to feel their pulse. And you could feel your pulse. But there's also this idea of if you put your hand on your heart, right? Mm -hmm. How much more can you feel your heart beating? Mm -hmm. And so not only was it their the understanding that it's your physical epicenter for living, but they relegated that to their spiritual life as well. Right. So um, biblical counseling seeks to instruct, equip, um, admonish, encourage, come alongside people, and actually offer lasting change by identifying heart issues and idols. And what we would say is we, we call sin, sin. We don't call it mistakes. We don't call it diseases. Mm -hmm. We call it what it is. Right. And I think that there's something to that. All scripture is breathed out by God, right? Mm -hmm. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness mm -hmm. so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right. So um, the other side of this that a lot of people don't really understand is is this and I, um i think a lot of people even christians would say well the bible is a good book but it doesn't inform all topics of my life it can't do the real things of getting at my real problems and 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Think about that. For life, meaning every single solitary, like you said, presupposition, right. every worldview that we bring to the table, mm -hmm. every expectation, all of those things, he's given us not only identity, but a way to stand up under it. Right. And right. so his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, not ourselves, because it is his grace that informs us, through which he's given us his very great and precious promises. And so I think that it's very important for us to realize that um, biblical counselors don't espouse to um, say that uh, the Bible is exhaustive, okay? Um, what sure. we would say is we say that Scripture is comprehensive. Okay, what do you see the difference scope. between those two? Exhaustive means, um, what, I, what I usually tell people is, 
when your car breaks down on the side of the road, mm-hmm. um, does it have a mechanic's manual on how to change a tire? No, certainly not. But what happens when you're chunking your tire and you're cussing or you're um, very angry and your spirit within you just is in turmoil right? Um, over a circumstance that may or may not have been out of your control, mm-hmm. but it informs our lives in that way. Mm-hmm. And that is why I say it's comprehensive because it does deal with not just emotions, but knowledge of the things in our lives that we can actually take notice of, like anger right, or bitterness, right. yeah. um, anxiety, worry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's kind of where I want to start bringing in uh, apologetics into the mix because there is a a false assumption when some people hear apologetics mm-hmm. that it is all about learning arguments in order to and, and this is actually kind of the mindset that I came into apologetics with okay. is that I wanted to learn as many arguments against Christianity as I possibly could mm. in sure. order to sure. Dismantle other people's arguments against Christianity, That's right. so that I can. And while I, would, I wouldn't necessarily admit this uh, to people when mm-hmm. I was first studying, mm-hmm. starting to study apologetics, but I wanted to just win arguments. Sure, and and there yeah. was a lot of pride that went into that, and thankfully God has been working on my heart to to make me understand the real purpose behind it. Sure. And uh, actually, Ravi Zacharias is one of the ones that first God used to bring that to light that pride to light and he says that apologetics is is used as a bridge to the gospel mm. and sure. so when you're doing apologetics you never want to just leave it at just trying to win an argument what you're yeah. trying to do is kind of use their argument against them in a way because when they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to dismantle christianity mm-hmm. But what we want to do is is take that and redirect it as an opportunity to share the gospel. That's right, uh, and that's that's the goal and aim of apologetics. It's mm-hmm. very evangelistically focused. I I believe it is. Yeah. Um, but kind of with biblical counseling, mm-hmm. it, everything stems from the heart, like you said. Yeah. And so all of these problems that unbelievers have with the Christian faith, mm-hmm. it's not just an intellectual issue. It it stems from the heart. There's something that has happened in their past. Obviously, sin uh, plays a part in it. But there are reasons behind the reasons uh, to why they reject Christianity. Yeah, whether it's from original sin, their own sin, or the sin that's been done against them. Right, right. Yeah, and that's why why I wanted to bring you into this conversation, because, because I think that once... Apologetics has done its work and mm-hmm. has kind of answered the objections, yeah. gotten that out of the way. That's right. You want to address the questioner. Yeah. And that's a hard issue. Yeah. And so I wanted to ask the question, where do you think biblical counseling mm-hmm. can help inform apologetics in or someone who is using apologetics in their yeah. day-to-day evangelistic life sure. in order to help help them and or to, in order to help them actually do the work and answer the heart issue, not just the head yeah. issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the very first thing that we need to do uh, is let's find a, a, a fairly simple but direct and good definition of apologetics. 
So oftentimes what I've heard apologetics um, described as a defense of our faith, mm. right? What is our faith, though? Right. Our faith is the gospel of Jesus Christ, yes? Mm-hmm. Um, and so this whole idea of apologetics is not about man. Right. It's about God. And it's about God's glory. Mm-hmm. It's about who we understand God to be in creation, but in all of his attributes and characteristics. Right. And because God is who he says he is, then we have an opportunity to inform um, ourselves uh, and and also... um, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Jonathan Edwards, early church father, Puritan uh, guy, wrote a book a long time ago, right, um, entitled "The What is the End to Which God Created the World? He asked this question. Mm-hmm. Why did God create the, the world? Uh, was it for man? Is apologetics a defense of man? Oftentimes, I think we would like to say it is. Because we think this life is all about us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We think it's all about my issues, my happiness, my um, worldview, my way of doing and thinking through things. And the fact of the matter is, it's not about us. We have no defense. We absolutely have no defense as men and women. King David says, surely I was sinful at birth, even before my mother conceived me. Um, Jeremiah seventeen nine. the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, Romans 3, and also Romans chapter 6. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For all have sinned and, what, fall short of the glory of God. But, it says, are, what, justified freely by his grace. So, Man has no defense, period. And somehow, apologetics has to couple with anthropology, right? The study of human beings and and human nature. Mm -hmm. Um, We ask a lot of questions. We ask questions like, um, why am I here? What do I do? What purpose do I have? Mm Mm-hmm. How do I perceive reality? Right. The who, what, where, when, why, and how of who Clay Elliott is. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's interesting is I think we bring to the table our own presuppositions, our own perspective, our own reality and worldview, right? Our personal worldview, our own expectations of ourselves, expectations of others, and expectations of God whether we're a believer in Jesus Christ or not. Because here's the, here's the thing. Most people that are hurting or struggle to believe in something bigger than themselves are searching for something. Mm-hmm. They're searching for meaning in some way, shape, and form. They may not call it God. Right, right. And, yeah. and there may be even atheists out there that don't believe in God, period. But they're searching for something oh yeah absolutely there's right. this uh uh a philosopher and his name is i think his name is 
I can't always think of his first name, but I know his last name is Weil. Mm-hmm. And his contention is that everyone is in search for order. And that manifests itself in, in many different ways. That's uh, right. You know, with atheists trying to seek order in the use of science, um, by people in different religions seeking that order through those, uh, those different religious structures, or people even finding it in um, just trying to have an orderly life uh, in general. Yeah, sure. And, but people are always searching for that order. That's and right. what's interesting is that uh, in you know John 1, 1, where it says the word became flesh, That's the, right. the word word was translated from logos. That's right. And in Greek, that means uh, reason, logic, and order. That's right. And so people are, like you said, people are always constantly in search for this meaning, this order, this, this mm-hmm. reason for life and the logic mm-hmm. behind it, mm-hmm. when ultimately... You know, the only thing that's actually going to fulfill that longing is the ultimate order, the ultimate reason, the ultimate that's logic, right. which is Jesus Christ and and God. How many times have you heard someone say, I have a void in my life and mm-hmm. I aspire to fill it with something? Our our culture right now is a very um, auto-centric or me-centered mm-hmm. uh, place. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, I absolutely. Think, um, whatever makes you feel good, whatever brings you happiness, right. you have to love yourself. You have to have high self-esteem. Mm-hmm. You have to be and do certain things mm-hmm. to make yourself popular or famous. Oh, yeah, and that seeped its way into the church as well. Sure it has. So. Sure it has. And what um, I think the, the fusion of apologetics... And biblical counseling is, or or the, the bridge, mm-hmm. through the gap or through the void, if I may, mm-hmm. is understanding what and who to fill that void with. Right. Right. Yeah. And what we would say is, um, with Peter, Lord, where would we go? Where else would we go? For you have the very words of eternal life. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean for unbelievers? Or what does that mean for people that are struggling with life-enslaving habitual sin? What does that mean for people that have lost a spouse or are grappling with the problem of evil? Yeah. Why yeah, is there right. evil in the world? Yeah, that was the last right? thing that I was actually wanting to talk to you about is... Mm-hmm. Uh, Everyone struggles with the question of evil. It's yeah. it's yeah, right. unavoidable. Yeah. Everyone, even Christians. I think that's sure. one of the one of the primary uh, things that gets them thinking whether God is is real or not. Yeah. And yeah. where apologetics can kind of give cold comfort to that answer mm-hmm. um, or to that issue. Um, by that I mean, apologetics can give you reasons why evil and God are not mutually exclusive. Correct. Yeah. But that's a very reasonable, logical mm-hmm. explanation sure it is. Uh, for God and the existence of evil, and it doesn't necessarily always hit the heart because, it, mm-hmm. like, it, like I said, it's very cold comfort. Yeah, right. And so that—that's like I said, that was one of the big things I was wanting to ask you because I think that so many people, uh, Christians, who are trying to speak with their unbelieving friends, always mm-hmm. run into that wall. They always sure. run into the problem of sure evil. They do. 
uh, or at least if not always, pretty frequently. Yeah. So how how can we use apologetics to kind of show the existence of God is still possible? Yeah. Right. In the existence of, with the existence of evil, mm-hmm. but how do we how do we hit the heart? How do we really yeah. get them to? I don't know what the word I'm looking for there, but yeah. How do we how do we hit the heart with that? Sure. Um, I think the the way that I would say this is we we need to have a healthy understanding of blame, and that sounds weird, doesn't it? I think uh, the answer is blame in in certain ways. What happened in the fall of man? Adam blamed Eve, right? Mm-hmm. The woman you gave me, or you created for me. She tempted me with this fruit, and I ate it, and now look what happened, mm-hmm. right? And so even at the inception of original sin, we have blame. Mm-hmm. And people are desiring to blame someone or something for every bad thing that happens to them. Right, right. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. And I think that there's um, the potential to just keep it right there Mm -hmm. and say, it was God. God has to be the the bad guy here Mm -hmm. because if he's the creator of everything, then he created evil and therefore um, evil came into the world and uh, now... Look what happened. Right, but right. I, I think the the difficulty is in understanding morality as well. Mm-hmm. Right and wrong. Or, or good and evil. God cannot be contrary to his nature. He is altogether good, altogether sovereign, altogether loving, but also altogether wrathful and jealous and strong, mm-hmm. right? Um, showing mercy to thousands upon thousands. But don't get it twisted. We still uh, have a God who is all-powerful. And the, the beauty of that is not only is he all-powerful, but he's also intimate. And he desires to take your infirmities away. Mm-hmm. I don't think people really grasp that because I think people are like, it's it's God's fault right. that I am who I am or that I'm this way or that this happened or that I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and my grandma still died mm-hmm. or my, you know, right. my right. life still uh, is... Uh, a mess and I still got a divorce and things are still horrible mm-hmm. and I still have these feelings and emotions and so forth and the fact of the matter is um, goodness has never changed the problem of evil is is a um, how should I say it it's a uh, it's a sublimation, maybe, or a um, a tarnishing of what was once and already good. So mm-hmm. you cannot be contrary in saying that God is good and evil 
at the same time. Because God is ultimately and completely good. Does this make any sense to you? What I'm what I'm trying to say is even before Satan became Satan, his nature was good. Mm-hmm. And his blaming and his evil uh, and his um, uh, tyrannical nature caused his goodness to become evil. And so you cannot just say from, from a human standpoint that God is terrible because he allowed these things to happen. What would you do, or what would you say? Maybe I'm stealing some of your question and your thun- thunder, but no, no, you're fine. What would you say to a non-believer struggling with anxiety or dealing with pain and suffering? Would you go, "Well, God is still good, Amen," and walk away? Right. Probably not. Probably not, because the fact of the matter is... And and here's the interesting thing. I think that if you try to be an apologist at that time, I don't know if they would listen. Right, right. Because they are suffering so deeply that it wouldn't matter to them Mm -hmm. if if you're wanting to... um, make them believe that God exists or not. Right, right. And that's one of the why that's why one of the main tenets of of apologetics when you're when you're wanting to actually start employing apologetics uh is is listening. You've got to listen to people and hear exactly out their right. uh hear out their issues. That's right. And often as they're articulating their issues, you can start pinpointing the things behind the questions themselves, why they're having those actual right problems yeah uh so uh, i mean if they're angry at god it could be because they're like you said they're they're in deep depression they're Mm -hmm. struggling with anxiety Mm -hmm. and if you don't take time to listen you can make the mistake in thinking that they're uh they're believing in science is the answer to everything is that's that's all to them yeah that one argument is all to all there is to that one particular person i want to i want to put out this uh analogy that i've been i've been thinking about and you can mm-hmm. go ahead and tell me it's stupid <laughs> so uh let me know because i'll never use yeah, it again right 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 but uh so, you're on the air by the way oh i know i know <laughs> oh gosh everyone stop listening now fast forward <laughs> like 10 minutes but uh so i've been learning more and more that often when you're approaching someone for the first time mm-hmm. you don't necessarily see that person you don't see them for who they are that's right what you are doing is you're seeing all the presuppositions that you bring to that person that's exactly right based on yeah either your own sinful heart Mm -hmm. um based on uh what they're wearing to the environment that you're in Mm -hmm. you don't actually see the person and that's a problem because when you don't actually see the person then when you go and speak to them for the first time, especially when you're wanting to use apologetics or when you're wanting to evangelize to them for the first time, that's right. You are often answering the wrong question, sure, uh, because you don't know them. Yeah. And so the analogy that that I've been working on is, or that I've been not working on, but thinking about, is that people are kind are kind of like cotton balls. 
Okay. I know. I know. All right. It's, it's really bad. Here we go. Uh, but but uh, so when you when you look at the cotton ball, mm-hmm. you see just this white, you know, fluffy thing, mm-hmm. and you think you know everything about it. But when you take the cotton ball and you pull it apart, you actually see that this thing is made up of multiple threads and strands. Yeah. Right. That that compose this one singular thing. Sure. And the more you pull it apart, the more that you see it is made up of more and more strands. Yeah. And I think that people are are a lot like that. Um, when you first look at them, you you only see surface level things. But the mm-hmm. more that you mm-hmm. listen and ask pointed questions, yeah. the more you start seeing all of these strands of stories That's right. that make them who they are. Yeah. And when it comes to their surface level arguments against Christianity. That's kind of like looking at the outside of the cotton ball. You mm-hmm. don't really know all of the different strands and stories that got them to sure. where they are today. Sure. And so you need to listen. You need to ask serious questions. Yeah. And and that's the first thing with apologetics is not jumping straight into the answers. It's uh, it's asking questions and just being willing to listen. And I think that's, yeah. again, where where biblical counseling and apologetics overlap. Absolutely. There's, um, that's one of the main uh, tenets of biblical counseling is listening. It has right, to be. Right. Um, Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. You know, um, I think you're right. We, even as, even as believers and as ministers of the gospel, we bring our own presuppositions to the table, right? Mm-hmm. Like I said before, right. we have our own presuppositions, our own understanding of life, our worldview, and we have our own expectations of ourselves, of others, and of God. Mm-hmm. Job's friends for a week were pretty darn cool. They were great. Right. Why? Because they were speaking truth. They were not speaking the first week, right? Period. But then once oh, they once they opened their mouth, yeah. they were trying to speak truth right. and yeah. uh, aspiring maybe to instruct Job in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. But the difficulty is that they opened their mouth before they understood right. all of what Job was dealing with. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I if I if I lost as much as Job had lost mm-hmm. how would I respond would I respond um, with joy yay I'm, everything's wonderful I don't think that we can come to a, a non-believer who is suffering and go consider it pure joy my brethren when you face various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance do you really think that they want to hear that? Absolutely not. I think the the best thing to do is listen and ask the right questions first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then start answering through the Holy Spirit's help. Mm-hmm. Start aspiring to answer some of these difficult questions. Right. Um, and it... It's a relationship that has to develop. Gather as much data as you can possibly find. 
mm-hmm. about these people and what makes them tick what are the what are their presuppositions what are the things that um that they come at life with what are the wrong um questions that they're asking if i could only fill in the blank right or the grass is always greener on that side of the fence or um if i only had this i would be happy right Mm -hmm. my desire for affection would be met by a man or a woman or whoever and then everything would be okay and i could suffer uh better right and and more purely and more quickly yeah because nobody nobody likes to my knowledge nobody is like yay I get to suffer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and have pain, but there's there's an important role here that we as um, believers have in listening to people's difficulties and empathizing with them, and to, and and sort of pointing them in the direction of understanding that the void mm-hmm. that they're dealing with is answered in the gospel of Jesus Christ and that it really is a spiritual foundation rather than only changing your thinking Mm -hmm. and then your behavior will follow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, I think we need to have a part two of this conversation sometime where we can talk about those pointed questions and and how to listen effectively, which sounds like a strange thing, but it is a thing. Mm and uh and no man i really i appreciate your expertise and being able to put those thoughts together and help me as i'm fumbling around in the darkness (laughs) trying to trying to effectively talk to people um but uh we got to end it here is there anything that you want to plug that you want people to know about i think the really important thing would be um here at contact mission we're a um missions organization and I get to be the prayer guy and the pastoral ministries coordinator and member care guy. And we want as many people as we possibly can praying for Europe and, and our missionaries, but also having a vibrant prayer life. And the other thing is um, I, have, um, I have a real heart for people that struggle. And that's a human problem. Struggle is inevitable mm-hmm. and it's always going to be there. Yeah, and so um, I just want to say that you're welcome to contact us at uh, www.gokmusa.org, and you're also um, surely able to contact me um, at my business Facebook page, Path of Life Counseling, um, and I would love to talk to people more about this topic, but also. Um, I just want people to really grasp that scripture and God's living word changes, not just circumstances, but their very existence, their life. Mm -hmm. And you can find hope and healing and purpose and real lasting change in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And being able to talk through a whole bunch of that stuff, uh, I think is why the Lord called me to what he has. 
So uh, I'm really thankful uh, to be able to be a part of this and also to kind of plug Contact Mission um, and Path of Life Counseling and so forth. Uh, but for the most part, um, continue to pray for your non-believing friends. Continue to listen and have good conversation. Um, everybody brings a worldview to their circumstance mm-hmm. and to their life. Yeah. yeah. So Awesome. Awesome, yeah. man. Well, I appreciate it. And again, we'll have this conversation and more like it, hopefully, again, soon in the future in this format. You bet. Um, but if you would like to know how you can support Truth For Doubt, go to truthfordoubt.com slash give. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.